This is Shifting Our Schools, episode 140, The Future of Education. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for listening and subscribing to us in your favorite podcast player. I hope this episode finds you safe and healthy. Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy schedule to tune in and give yourself some space for learning, whether that be at school while you're grading papers, driving down the road, or out for a walk. I'd love to hear where you listen and even what is your favorite episode? What's your favorite episode been this year? Uh, If you've been a longtime listener, it's always great for us to get feedback around what episodes are meaningful to you. We have a couple ways for you to reach out and share your listening experiences. If you are on Twitter, you can tag us at Shifting Schools, or if you head over to our website, you can leave a Flipgrid response. Just go to sospodcast.org and click on Flipgrid in the menu. This is where our community meets. It's a place to share ideas, ask questions, and just be as a community of listeners. Of course, we also add your thoughts, questions, and ideas from the Flipgrid here in our episodes. It's such a great way for us to get to hear from some of you, our listeners. If you aren't signed up for our Shifting Schools newsletter yet, I highly encourage it. My partner, Trisha Friedman, has been on a tear lately creating free PDFs. I literally can't get her to stop creating free PDFs. Uh, which is so great for our educational community. If you haven't done so yet, I highly recommend that you go over and check them out. All you have to do is go to shiftingschools.com. So just go shifting schools, all one word, shiftingschools.com and click on resources and you will see a link there to free PDFs. Some of the resources that she has already created include the anatomy of breakout rooms. If you have the ability to use breakout rooms with students, we have created what is the structure that is needed to make breakout rooms work. We also have anatomy of a synchronous lesson. With the over 12,000 teachers that we've been taking through trainings, we have found a system that works for your synchronous lesson, highly structured, loosely organized. And what is the structure that is needed to make your synchronous lesson work? We've got five Uh, There's five steps to making any synchronous lesson more meaningful for our students. There's also a PDF on leveraging your virtual backgrounds. This one's been making the rounds on Twitter lately. Uh, Trisha has made a bunch of virtual backgrounds that you can just apply. If you have the ability, teachers, are you using your virtual background as a learning tool? There's all you can, all you have to do is download these PDFs and you can actually just plug and play. We're really into creating stuff that is making life easier for you. So a lot of these resources, you're going to find plug and play ideas that you can just take, copy and paste into your own slide deck and go for it. Uh, In the anatomy of a synchronous lesson, there's all kinds of protocols and tips and tricks uh, that you can just take, copy and paste and put into your own. Another one of our free PDFs is brain boosters for students. Maybe you want, you know, students need to take a brain break. And so you might even share with them some of the brain breaks for them to use while they're in their asynchronous time learning when they're not in front of you at home. So another great PDF there. And then another one, empowering reading and remote learning, uh, empowering readers, sorry, and remote learning. 
And there are so many more over there. I just went over there real quick and looked at a couple. One of my favorites is this Empowering Readers in Remote Learnings. Trisha and I were doing a presentation uh, with the school district, I think a couple weeks ago, and one of the teachers just wrote a private message in the Zoom chat and said, hey, do you have any resources for empowering readers in remote learning, especially for emerging readers, um, you know, in early primary schools? And I was like, well, we don't, but we can make it. And again, Trisha being the incredible Trisha that she is, has gone out and made an an amazing PDF. So if you are looking at emerging readers, if you're a K2 teacher and you're looking for those resources, or maybe you're a tech coach, there's some great resources here for you to share with your staff. So again, just go over to shiftingschools.com, click on resources, and there you will find the link to free PDFs. Uh, And again, we constantly are adding some. If there's something that you would like a resource around, please reach out again on Twitter at shiftingschools.com. Uh, or you can email us, uh, shiftingschools at gmail.com or jeff at shiftingschools. There's so many ways. Uh, fill out our contact form and uh, we'll do our best to make some resources for you. Today, I wanted to share with you some of the conversations I have been having with school districts around the world, uh, even at the state and uh, federal government official level, both here in the U.S. and globally as well, about what is the future of education. And uh, as I'm recording this, you know, it's mid-December and uh, the idea of the vaccine is coming out. Uh, We're starting to see conversations specifically with superintendents and school leaders and nonprofits looking at, okay, well, as we start thinking forward and we're getting back to quote unquote normal, what are things that are forever changed because of this? And that's really been a focus of a lot of conversations, conversations I've been having specifically with superintendents. And so today, I kind of wanted to share with you some of these conversations around what are we seeing? What are some of the the possibilities or things that are forever going to be changed in conversations that I'm having uh, within school districts, again, uh, both here in the States and and globally as well. Uh, And so one of the first ones that I think is really interesting is this idea that we're having conversations around student connectivity being funded by basic education. So here, you know, in uh, the U.S., uh, basic education funds come from the state level. And what we're starting to see is we're starting to see conversations at the government level, state government level, of being able to use basic education funds to make sure every student has an internet connection, which will be huge, right? It's an equity play. We've got to make sure that we have this thing called the internet. It's not going away. How are we making sure that we are make that every student is connected to the world's knowledge? So that's one. Are we able to use our basic education funds in order to make that happen? Another one, another conversation I've been having is that schools could play a vital role in communities in supporting internet for all families. We are seeing coming out of this that, you know, a lot of schools were the focus, especially in rural communities, were the focus of that internet. Many of our schools have the fastest internet connection inside their community. And what we're going to see coming out of this is we're going to see schools play a vital role in communities to support internet for all families, not just students, but for families. We, we know, and you've probably read some of the articles around you know, school districts who already had Wi-Fi on buses, being able to park those buses in some of our communities where maybe their students didn't have access to the internet and allowing everyone to connect to the internet to get information during the pandemic. And so I think we're going to continue to see things like that roll out. It's going to be really interesting to see how schools find themselves again being the center of our communities in supporting internet, not just for students, but for families 
for all. One of the interesting things, conversations I've been having is with a lot of rural school districts across um, across the nation here in the U.S., and specifically here in the state of Washington, is we have some of our schools, especially some of our rural schools, who are starting to create partnerships with satellite internet companies. If you've been following SpaceX at all and Elon Musk, and you know he is... Um, putting up satellites to create a satellite internet network. And specifically here in the state of Washington, we will be one of the first states that actually gets turned on. We already have some of our tribal nations in the state using it, and they say it's incredible. And you just think about what is the possibility if we live in a rural community and we have those kids that live down in a canyon or, you know, here in the state of Washington, live halfway up Mount Rainier, and we there's no internet there. But all of a sudden, we connect that family. We connect those kids And so are we starting to think about the future of internet and satellites going to be part of it? And so we have districts and we have states that are starting to maybe come into contract with internet providers, satellite internet providers, so that we can cover an entire state. What is that going to mean for education? What does that mean for kids when we can guarantee that every kid has the world's knowledge at their fingertips? Another conversation that we're having uh, at multiple different levels is the idea that schools being one-to-one is forever accelerated. If you were not already a school district that was in a one-to-one program, otherwise known as every child having their own device, that has been accelerated and we're going to see that. In fact, I think what we're going to be headed into is we are going to get into a situation where every child, K through 12, is going to have a device. And, and we have to understand that that is the future of education. The internet is here to stay and it helped us through the pandemic and it's not going away. And I think the conversation that ties to that, that we're already having is that the communities, our communities are now relying on public education to fund a laptop. Our communities re- looked at our schools and said, if you, we want our students to learn from a distance, then schools have to provide that. And so schools we're providing many of the laptops for our learners during the pandemic. And I don't think that goes away. I think what the future of education looks like is our communities are going to expect the education system to fund a laptop for every child. And here's where we get to a two-to-one program. The school's going to fund the laptop. The parents fund the phone. What if we all of a sudden invite phones into our classrooms And not every kid has a phone. I understand that. But we're getting to a point where there are many more kids that have one than don't. And what does that look like when our communities, we partner with our communities, we partner with our parents to say, we will fund the laptop if you can get the kid a phone. What would you do in a classroom where you could guarantee that every child had a laptop and a phone? There are so many incredible apps on the phone the ability to use cameras, to record voice, to record video on a smaller device with a 4K you know, video camera. These things have embedded in them now. You just think about the possibilities that come out of this pandemic when we're going to be looking at, and I think there's going to be pressure on our communities, from our communities, pressure from our communities on public education to fund a laptop for every child across, across the grade levels. I see that coming. Another trend that I'm seeing, this is mostly from IT departments, is we're going to be blocking less and we're going to be spending more money on security. You know, I think one of the fascinating things for me that came out of this is almost every school district I work with was blocking Google Meets until the pandemic happened. And all of a sudden we had to unblock 
Google Meet. We unblocked chat rooms. We unblocked things like Zoom that were blocked within our school district. I think what we're going to see after this is we're going to be blocking less, but we're going to see a heightened awareness of security, security of a privacy of information. I'm already getting a lot of conversations with schools and districts and even at the state level about what do we need to put in place to make sure that we secure student privacy. And I think that's going to be huge. I think ed tech companies that might be listening to this podcast, security is going to be a concern. How do we make sure that we keep student information safe as we continue to drive information onto the internet? But we're going to be blocking less. How are you taking the idea of a chat room into your classroom? If we're thinking, let's think May, June, all the kids are back in quote unquote normal school. Do you still use a chat room? Have we found a new way that kids engage? What would that look like? Where would it fit? Have we used ways to collaborate? I don't know. There's some new tools that we were able to use that I think come back with us, but we're going to be blocking less and securing more. I think we're also going to see a trend where we are uh, considering, uh, we're condensing an integration of more and more educational platforms. I look at something like uh, Microsoft Teams, which a lot of Microsoft districts used during the pandemic, and Microsoft Teams was really good at at constantly adding in all these other apps that integrate into Microsoft Teams. Canvas is another great platform that we see. We see a lot of platforms now that have one-click login through Google Classroom or one-click Google integration. So if your students are are working in a, a Google world, you can go to a website, you click on the Google link, and you instantly have signed up for an account. So I think we're gonna continue to see this condensing and integration of educational platforms. Um, you know, we are already only have two big players out there. Either you become a Microsoft school district or, or a Google school district. But I think we're going to just see all these other ed tech, you know, kind of integrate into those and make those even more robust, which is, which is kind of cool to think about um, having less logins and, and more available to our students and for us for, um, for teaching. Another great conversation I've been having is this idea of open campus in the high school. The idea of open campus, I think, has forever been changed when learners when learners uh, can learn from anywhere. What happens when we truly understand that learning can happen anywhere, anytime? What does that do to our open campus policies? I'm already talking with some rural school districts who are looking at this as an opportunity to have kids do internships. Because what happens? What happens if I can do an internship down at a local business and still go to high school? what would that look like? I, I can still go to math at six o'clock at night because I'm down doing an internship at a CPA office. I just think about the opportunities we have with the way that we, we know we can structure learning from a distance, that it's going to open up new avenues in things like what does open campus look like? What are other ways? An entrepreneurship program at your high school or your middle school? What would that look like? Kids going out into the community and being part of the community. With that, I think one of the other things we're going to see, and the conversation's already started at many state levels, is that online public education is forever the norm. There will ever for be online public education. I hope so. I hope that we see that whatever your local public education school district is will also offer online courses for kids. There are some kids who did better in this online world. There are some kids who are able to hold down a job, support their family, and still graduate high school. I want that kid in my public school. 
There's a lot of things we're going to have to figure out, but you know what? We learned a lot this year. We learned a lot this year. And I think we're going to forever see that as a way that is our everyday classes. I know a lot of school districts already had some type of online classes, mostly as credit uh, credit makeup at the high school level. So if a kid fell behind in credits, they could take online courses to make up credits. But I see this becoming, do you take algebra in person or do you take algebra online? And what would that mean to you? And how does that structure class differently? And that leads me to the next question and conversations that we've been having is, what ways can new learning happen without a bell schedule? I have some schools, specifically middle school, high schools, who are looking at this idea of a bell schedule and saying, you know what? I don't know if we need one. What happens if we, if we have a drop date where we give kids everything they need to learn on a Monday? We hook them up with a mentor teacher. And they have a mentor teacher who is supporting them, helping them figure out when do they need to go to what class. And I'm not saying we do away with classes. There's going to be times where we want all the kids, you know, doing a science project together. But I think we have to think differently about bell schedules. When we give every kid a device and every kid has access to the internet, what does high school look like? What does middle school look like? You have these open campuses. You're going to have kids flowing differently. We're allowed to, kids are allowed to work on their own projects, to be able to drop in on teachers whenever they want. I just think there's a lot of ways we can structure school that isn't the way we've always done it. And I think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see some school districts do some really unique things, and I'm excited about that. We're going to forever see video and audio uh, teaching as a new normal for all educators. You got really good at making instructional videos. And what I'm going to see, what what I'm already seeing is school districts are buying more hardware around teachers being able to make instructional videos in their classroom or even audio files. We've had a couple teachers who, instead of doing videos, are creating podcasts like this. Sit down at a microphone, tell your kids a story, walk your kids through that idea, read a book out loud to your kids, talk about the math problem, right? Talk about history, interview a kid one at a time. What would that look like? And here's what we know, that video and audio teaching is a new normal for all educators. Knowing how to make instructional videos allows us to personalize information even when the kids are in front of us. It's not a skill that's going to go away. It's a skill that we've all spent so much time and energy and learning. And I think there is so much power in instructional videos that allow us to meet the individual needs of all students. One of the states I'm having a conversation with, we're already having conversations around how do we teach to an achievement gap that's gotten larger than it was before the pandemic happened. You know, we know we're going to come back. We know we have kids who have not engaged in anything since last March. We know they're out there. Where are those kids compared to kids who have done the work, who have shown up? And how do teachers take these kids who are going to be even farther apart and find ways to differentiate their instruction to meet the needs of every single learner? The answer, instructional videos. When I can make an instructional video for this child who is working on that standard, and I can make an instructional video for this child who's working on that standard, 
And let, let me remind you, we're not making individual videos for the kids. We're making individual videos for the standard. So when that child is ready for that standard, the video is ready for them. Now, are there some kids that get their own video? Absolutely. There's kids on 504 plans or who might be on IEPs um, that need some accommodations. Absolutely. We're going to you know, work with our special ed teachers, work with our resource room teachers, and we can make instructional videos that are specifically impacting that child. And I'm going to have more one-on-one conversations with each kid because the technology exists and it's here and now we all have the skill set to do it. Video and audio teaching is a new normal for all of us moving forward. I think on a larger scale, if we look at the macro level, one of the things we're going to see is we are going to slowly see a move away from content-based system to a skill-based system of education. We have to understand that what we need to be teaching are the skills of learning, not the content. When you have the world's knowledge at your fingertips, and you can learn anything the moment you want to know it, it's called Siri, or Google, or Bing. If you can learn anything the moment you want to learn it, the question becomes, do you have the skills to learn it when you need it? That is what the future of this generation needs. When we talk about preparing students for their future, not our past, we are talking about preparing them for a world where they have the skills to learn, unlearn, and relearn at the drop of a hat. When we say lifelong learners, when we say we want students who are lifelong learners, we have to teach them the skill of knowing how to learn, how to unlearn something because information is moving at rapid speeds, and relearn something in order to pivot when the world pivots around you. And we saw that. People who were willing to learn, unlearn, and relearn through this pandemic. To be able to change. to be You think about all the changes we went through as educators. Our ability to learn, to unlearn, and relearn ways of doing things in literally weeks was incredible. That is a skill set. And it is one that we must foster and we must teach. And we're going to teach it through content, but content's not going to be our focus. We need to focus on the skill. And we need to help kids understand that the world belongs to those that create, not those that consume. The world belongs to those who create and not those who consume. How are we helping kids understand that you must be a creator in this world? You can create news articles. You can create infographics. You can create YouTube videos. You can create free PDFs for other educators. The world belongs to those who create, not those that consume. Our kids have to understand that. And the skill of creation is an incredible skill that sets you up for life. I think we're also going to see a trend in some of the conversations we're having is around this idea that we are finally going to transition to a true inquiry-based education system. But in order to do that, we must understand that we become skill-based. Because if we become a skill-based educational system, then we can truly transition ourselves to inquiry-based because we allow kids to answer their own questions. We give this kids, we give students the skills to go and answer their own questions, to do research. Researching on the internet is a skill. It, we don't tell kids, go do some research. We teach them how to do the research. By the way, there's some free PDFs for you on how to teach kids to use Wikipedia. 
but we're going to see a transition to truly inquiry-based educational systems as we move out of this. And I hope that excites you. You know, we've been saying this for a long time, and I hope that excites you, that we want kids to be learning on their own, learning from their passions, answering deep, rich questions. And if I can get every kid access to the internet, if I can understand that every child is going to have a laptop, if I understand that my job is to give them the skills to learn the moment they need to know something, we are preparing students for their future, not our past. Our educational system should always be changed because of this experience. There is no going back to normal. There's just a new normal going forward. And as things start to unfold over the next four or five months, it'll be really interesting to see where schools and districts fall. I'm excited to be here to support you along the way. Please let us know if there's anything we can do, if there's ideas or strategies, or maybe there's other conversations that you're hearing besides this in your own school district. I'd love for you to share those with us on Twitter. Again, at Shifting Schools on Twitter. Let us know what are other conversations that you are hearing about the idea of new normal as we continue to bring all of our students back to campus through the rest of this school year and into the summer months. Thank you for listening. And until next time, I'll see you on the network. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.